Welcome to the Rise Up series. This is a series for men. The world is knocking men down and trying to keep them from their God-ordained purpose, to lead others out of darkness and into the light. Every man knows what it feels like to get knocked down, but not every man knows how to get back up again. And if a man gets knocked down enough times, he may even stop trying to get back up again. This series is intended to help men stand against the onslaught from the culture that might knock them down and will help those men who have been knocked down to get back up again. God has called you to a higher purpose. Welcome to Rise Up. Welcome men to the monthly men's breakfast. Today we continue our men's ministry series, Rise Up. Could you turn that down a little bit, please? Thank you. <coughs> Just in the house. There you go. Thank you. <clears throat> the series, Rise Up, and challenging men to live up to God's calling. And God, God, God has a calling on our lives, right? That he's called us to be something, to do something. That, some, that there ought to be a, a reality to what we are and who we are, and 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 I think um, you know, as as Kevin and I were talking this morning, one of the one of the truths of that is and something that I think we need to spend more time with, and probably explore in the future at, at a greater depth, is the how-to of the what. You know, we can talk about the what. What is the calling? And the, you know, the breakdown, the different pieces of it. We're going to talk about some of that today. You know, you know, that, you know, the, the title of this morning's message is that, you know, rise up and engage to be engaged. Okay. Engaged in what first off, and then how, how do you do it? You know, the practical, how is Larry going to do it in whatever spheres of influence, circle of influence that he's operating in the actual step-by-step step how to do it. And that's something that I think ultimately we all need to, you know, spend some time with and really not just kind of go come to something like this and say, okay, yeah, ooh, that, that was, the, the food was amazing and the fellowship was great. And oh yeah, Pastor Rick shared something about something. We need to, we need to take it and we need to allow God to do something pretty radical in us that it helps in this process of changing us that, you know, if a change is required, now it doesn't mean that there always is a change required, but you know, sometimes we can look at ourselves. Okay. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, 99 out of a hundred on that one. I'm okay. That would be nice. I'd like to hit 99 out of anything on someday, but we ought to, we need to be more diligent and more deliberate, I believe about really taking some of these topics and, and just okay, figuring out, spending that, you know, just, just time on our face before the Lord and with a, our Bible in one hand and pen and paper in the other and say, okay, God, help me make this real. You know, tell me the, tell me the 10 steps, the 10 pieces, the 10 things that I need to know so that I can make this real in my life. Let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text for today. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this morning. I thank you for these men, um, these men, plus uh, any who will, who will watch this online, or Lord, even if there's some ladies who watch us online, I pray, Lord, that you would use this text, um, though we're going to approach it from a, a men's perspective, 
Lord, the, the, the many of these truths, many of these things are things that, that, you know, that even, even the ladies need to know because the ladies need to know how to help us to do these things you're calling us to do. And Lord, uh, we can't do it alone. We do it with each other as men and we do it with the women you've also put in our lives. And we praise you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do. And we lift this morning up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So turning your Bible to Luke 19, Luke 19, the foundation of this teaching is one of Jesus's parables. And Jesus in his ministry, at the, at, by the time we get to Luke 19, Luke 19 is far enough along in Jesus' ministry that he has proved to many that he is the long-awaited Messiah. They, they, they see him, they see what he's doing, they hear his teachings, they hear his words, and, and they compare that to what they know about the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and say, okay, this, he is the guy. He is the Messiah. And there was a, there was a, a, a natural byproduct of that reality that Jesus is going to deal with here in this parable. So Luke 19 verse 11 says this, now as they heard these things, as they heard Jesus speaking, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they, the people that heard him, thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So this parable is a response to, <coughs> to me, to, Excuse me. Do the people around him hearing him and seeing him and realizing, okay, this is the Messiah. Therefore, the kingdom of God is going to come right now. And so that's what they were expecting. And, and they, they had, and so Jesus dealing with that, <coughs> excuse me, this wrong idea. Verse 12. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so not only is the kingdom not just say not only is the kingdom not coming immediately, but the nobleman who is Jesus is going away. Thank you. promise I didn't get any bacon this morning so <clears throat> got me all messed up so the kingdom's not coming and the messiah is leaving that's that's the sense we get out of this out of verse 12 it tells us something about Jesus that that he came but it wasn't to establish the kingdom it wasn't to establish the kingdom of God at that time and then in John 14 in verses 1 through 3, it says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, which if you read that, if you understand that, you see Jesus actually making himself equal with God there. If you can believe in God, believe in me too, because we are in fact equal. Just as a quick little aside. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus had made it clear to his disciples that he wasn't there to establish the kingdom. And that in fact, he was going to be leaving to go back to his father in heaven. And he said that a few times 
And, and he talked about the way that it was going to happen. It was going to happen by him being turned over to the Jews and the Jews are going to turn him over to the Romans. He, he, he knew exactly what was coming. He knew exactly the whole experience that he was going to go through. And he had shared a lot of that with his disciples. Well, you know, understandably that bothered the disciples. They expected the Messiah to come and establish the kingdom of God, similar to the kingdom that God established with King David a thousand years earlier. And so that's what they're expecting. They're expecting this king who would come in and then establish the kingdom of, of God, which they would, in their mind, would be the kingdom of Israel. And so that they would see this whole new restored kingdom of, of David. And that's what they were longing for. Ultimately, that meant, you know, the Romans had to go. And that they would include you know, getting rid of the Roman oppression. So how, in their minds, how can Jesus establish a kingdom if he goes away? How, how is that going to happen? And we know that Jesus in his first coming, his first advent, he did not come to establish his kingdom. He didn't come to establish his kingdom at that time. He came to do something else. At his second coming, he will establish that kingdom um, at what we refer to as the second coming or the second advent, however you want to look at that. So he came not to establish his kingdom, but to save us from our sins. To make a way for that anyone who would believe in him could be a part of that kingdom. You know, the, the Jews' view of the kingdom of God was much too narrow, much too small. God had a much larger plan. His plan was to turn the whole world into the kingdom of God. And he couldn't do that. He was going to do that through the Jewish nation, but he wasn't going to limit it to it, just the Jewish nation. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way. He made a way for anyone who would believe to be a part of that kingdom. John 14, 6 says, John said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one is going to, you know, no one can get there any other way. So this parable in Luke 19 is meant to correct their wrong thinking on the topic of when Christ will establish his earthly kingdom. And I just, this is not in my notes, but it just popped into my mind. So, you know, I got the microphone, so I'm going to say whatever I want. Every time we open the Bible, every single time we open the Bible, it ought to be for this reason. There's something wrong with the way I think. I can say to you right now, your pastor has things wrong with the way that he thinks. I know it's a shock, but I'm not perfect. And my thinking is not perfect. Every time I open his word, it ought to be with the humility of saying, God, fix me through your word. Well, your Holy Spirit to minister to my mind and to my heart to change the way that I think. Because if you're not reading your Bible so that you can know God and know yourself better and, and recognize the difference between the two of you and the wrongness that is you compared to the perfection of God. If you're not doing that, then you're going to, you're, you may be wasting your time in the morning or 
if and when you do it. We must be open to the idea that when I open my word, I must also open my mind, I must open my heart and say, God, search me and know me. If there's any wrong thing in me, show me that I might be corrected in it. That's what he's doing here. He's correcting their wrong thinking. And we ought to open the Bible and, and, and understand that, acknowledge that, confess that before God. I know there's things wrong with my thing. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but you show me in your word. And, I'll, and I'll, I will humble myself and make that correction with your help, God. Right? Does that make sense? That was a freebie. No extra charge. Verse 13. So... He called, this is the parable. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10, 10 minus, and said to them, do business till I come. The nobleman in this illustration, in this parable, is Jesus. So Jesus is the nobleman. He's going away, and, he's go, and he is going to come back. It's, that's the sense we get here. And so once Jesus finished his work on the earth, what happened? Boop, he left. You know, you know, people ask question, why did he leave? Well, because this is not where he belongs. He belongs in heaven with God the Father. He, he came to the earth to do a work. Once that work was done, he went back to where he belongs. And then he did something for us that we should rejoice in every single day. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And now Jesus is in heaven waiting for God to give him the kingdom. Hasn't happened yet. Matter of fact, we don't know when that's going to be. Mark 13, 32 just said, but of that day, the day that, that, that the kingdom will come, an hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Jesus waiting for God to say, okay, go get your bride. It's time to establish the kingdom. So he didn't come to establish a righteous kingdom on earth at that time. He came to save us of our sins. And to that we say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the more mature we get in our faith, the more we long for him to bring his kingdom to the earth. The more we desire that righteous kingdom because all we see around us is wickedness and evil and craziness. Jesus didn't come to establish his kingdom, but he did come to establish something. In verse six, or Matthew 16, 18 says this, but I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus didn't establish his kingdom on the earth, but he did establish a church. He established the church and he gave it a mission. At the end of, chap of Matthew, which we'll get to sometime next year, Matt, I'm serious, it will be next year, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, this is the mission of the church, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus came to establish church to save us of our sins. And while he was here, he established the church as, as, um, 
as the vehicle by which he will continue his ministry in the earth. So we can look at the church from three perspectives. The first there is the universal church. That's all believers all around the world. Anybody who's a true believer of Jesus Christ is in the church. So, so there is one universal church. Its mission is what Jesus describes in Matthew 28. If you were to describe the, church, the mission of the church of, of all believers since Jesus ascended to heaven, that has been the mission of the church since, since then. And it will continue to be that until he comes back. You know, the way that it works, we follow the general's orders until the general changes the orders. He's not going to change the orders until he comes back. So until he does, we keep following these orders. Now there's also, not in addition to the universal church, there's the local church, like CCFE. Now the mission of the local church is to determine how to fulfill the mission of the universal church at a local level. So, so we boil down, we, we, can't, we can't reach all nations, right? Can we acknowledge that we can't reach all nations? We never will reach all nations. We, you know, there's not enough of us to reach all the nations. And so we need to boil it down to the, to the circle of influence that we have as a, as a local body. That's our mission. How do we fulfill the, 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 the big mission in the local community? How do we do our part for that? And the third way we look at it is a church can be viewed as each individual believer. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says this, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you, that each of us is, a, 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 is the church? We are a part of the church, the universal church. We're a part of the local church, and we are the church. When, when we, when, you know, somebody talks about the church ought to, you know, anybody, sometimes, you know, you know, pastor, the church ought to, I'll, I'll say to them, Larry, you are the church. So you're saying you ought to do that, right? Isn't that what you're saying to me? Um, you know, that's the idea. We need to understand that we are individually the church. And since a universal church and a local church have a mission have a role to play in the mission, so does each individual person. Each individual, each individual believer has a role to play in the overall mission of the universal church, especially as it's being played out within the local church. Not limited to that because we have circles of influence outside of our local church, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so it's up to us as believers to discover what is my mission? How do I engage with the mission of the local church as it's engaging in the mission of the universal church? Does that make sense? I, I play a role and I do that. One of the ways I do that is through the local church as the local church is doing the, you know, playing a role in the universal church. In verse 13, he called three of his, his servants and he gave them minas. A mina is roughly three months salary. And then he, he told them to do business. 
in the, uh, in the King James translation, it's occupy until I come. Be occupied in the things of the business. Do, do the business. Be busy with the work, with, with this resource that I've given you. Use this resource and do something with it until I get back. So that's the basic idea there. Verse, jump down to verse 15. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. Then, they came, then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So the first servant comes and he has a thousand percent increase in, in, in investing. That's a good return on investment. Man, if I could get a thousand percent on anything, I'd be pretty happy. And you, know, you would imagine the nobleman you know, was very pleased with that, and, and he is rewarded accordingly. Second servant gets a 500%. That's still a phenomenal increase over it. And they're rewarded proportionally to the gain that they receive. Now, we don't want to speak, we don't want to add, we don't want to spiritualize that too much, but the reality is there is a reward that was attached to their efforts. And, and to recognize that we as believers, when we do, we do use the resources God gives us for his glory, for his blessing, blessing of others and the growing of faith, that there is a reward for it. And that reward is something that God will decide when God decides. Then another servant steps forward. So there were 10. We saw the first one and the second one. Now a third one comes up and he, and he steps forward to give an accounting to the nobleman. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him, give it to him who has 10 minus. But they said to him, master, he has 10 minus. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So this third servant, now we don't know what the other seven did. We just know that they were there and they did something because obviously there's only one that's going to get this rebuke. He did nothing with what was what he would been given with to him except to protect it from being lost. So he hid it away so that it wouldn't be lost, but he did nothing else with it. Well, that wasn't good enough for the nobleman. Well, well but, but, but why? Because that's not what the nobleman told him to do. Brothers, obedience is not doing what we think is right. Obedience is doing what God said. That's obedience. Just doing what you think is right is not obedience. Doing what God said, that's obedience. 
This servant knew what his master said, but then he did what he thought was right. And what happened? He ended up standing before the master, even though he thought, I, I, I've done a good thing. Here, here is your mina back. And the master said, oh, no, 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 no. In another, another rendering of this, he, you know, the master says, you wicked, lazy servant. Wow. Can you imagine hearing those words from Christ? You wicked, lazy servant. Jesus established a church and gave it a mission. Here it is. I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will stand and nothing can stop the church. Nothing can stop the church. The business of the church is to make disciples. Teaching them to obey Jesus. That's the business of the church. That's the business of the universal church. That's the business of the local church. And that's the business of every individual believer. If you aren't playing a part in, in bringing people to Christ and teaching them to obey, if you're not playing some part in that, then you're, you're not fulfilling the mission of the church. You're not fulfilling the mission that God has given to us. Now, God has not given to us money, right? Well, he's given some people money, maybe nobody in this room, a lot of money, but he's given to us, he's given us something. And he's given us something much more precious than money. When Jesus left, he told his disciples, it is good that I go away because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. He was saying to them, it would be better for you to have the Holy Spirit than for you to have me. I don't know if we catch that sometimes, but that's what he was saying. It's better for me to go away because then I will send the Holy Spirit. Because why is that better for us? Because Jesus would only be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit is where? Right here in us. God, the Holy Spirit in us. And so he sent the Holy Spirit to us. So he gave to us the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting in this, in this particular parable that the nobleman gave each one of the ten one mina. Well, when God saved us, how many of the Holy Spirit did he give us? One. How much of the Holy Spirit? All of him. Every single believer has the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same resources available to us as every other believer. Now, there are other material resources that we may have access to, but as far as spiritual resources, which far outstrip any material resources, we have that same amount as everyone else. We're not waiting for more from God. Never wait for more from God. You have everything you need to obey. Everything. And not only that, in 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. <clears throat> 
the manifestation of the Spirit, we're going to, if you continue reading through 1 Corinthians 12, you'll see those referred to as spiritual gifts. God gives certain things to people for the purpose, for the profit of all. He gives to each one, to Kevin, to Larry, to you, to you, to me. He gives to each one gifts, spiritual gifts, for the profit of all. Who is all? All y'all. Everyone. The whole world. But at the very least, the whole church. God has given something to every single believer. He's given it to them for the purpose of the universal church fulfilling its mission through the local church and by local, by individual believers. He gives us these gifts and when we bring those gifts to bear in whatever circle of influence we're in, but we're, we'll talk about the local church. In the local church, or really anywhere you, you, you are given a gift to, for that use, if you apply that gift, it then works toward the fulfillment of the overall mission, first of the local church and then ultimately of the universal church. But God did more than just give us gifts. In verse, in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God created us for good works. He created us so that we can do good works. He created us in such a way that we are able to do good works. Who did he create that way? Us, all of us. Which God prepared beforehand so whatever those good works are that he created us uniquely for, he prepared them beforehand. Beforehand means what? Well, you could go all the way back to the beginning of time and say God pre prepared them then. You know, before we were born, before Adam and Eve were created, before the world was created, God already had a plan. And that plan included each and every one of his people doing the good works that he established beforehand, that we should walk in them, which means that, that we should walk in them. That it means it's, it's appropriate for us to walk in them, but also that we have a choice to walk in them or not. Either we do what God wants us to do, we do the good works that he created for us beforehand, or we don't. And he's given us spiritual gifts so that we can, and he's put us within you know, local churches so that we are encouraged and we have a, a vehicle for expression of the spiritual gifts so that we then are play a part and a role in the work of the universal church. Every single believer has been given spiritual resources that God wants to use to fulfill the mission of the church the overall, the universal church. But the problem is too many are content to put it away in a handkerchief. God has given them gifts, given them opportunities, 
and they just wrap it up in a handkerchief and hide it away someplace. Content just not to let it get, you know, lost or whatever. I, I think this is tragic, especially if we're talking about a man. Because man, God has created man uniquely to, to lead. And if a man hides the gifts that God has given him, hides them away, then every person that God has ordained from the foundation of time to follow that man, they don't get the benefit. And it's very likely that they will do exactly the same thing and hide their gifts away. A man that does not engage makes it hard for anyone that God has ordained to follow that man to engage. I can speak to my own life before I was saved. I mean, I was a heathen pagan, and so there's, you know, I had no interest in engaging and saw no point in it. But I can look at, I can look back and see how I hindered my family. They, they were hindered at every step because I, the spiritual leader of the family, was not leading spiritually. I was not using the, God, the gifts God gave me for his glory. You know, and, I, and I can understand why it wasn't because I was, I was lost. There are a lot of men that aren't lost. They are believers in Jesus Christ. And they're not. They're, they've got their gifts wrapped up tightly in a handkerchief. I, I, they're not engaged. They're not, they're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. Well, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working every day. So what? Anybody can do that. Heathen pagans do that. You know, I, I, I show up at my kid's baseball game sometimes. That, that's, those things are meaningless. If you aren't, if you, if you don't know what God created you to do in this world and you're not doing it for his, deliberately for his glory, in obedience to him, then those things are irrelevant. They will not produce spiritual fruit. Guys, we need to engage. We can look around this world. I mean, look around this world. It's getting darker, eviler, desperately wicked. And you know, there's a, there's a reality that we can look at and say, you know what? There's nothing I can do about that. I can't change that. I can't change this world. And then just say, forget it. I can't do anything. I can't change what's happening out there. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to go along to get along. And the last couple of years have been hard, been hard on churches and believers. No question. It's been a tough time and it looks like it's not going to get a lot easier in the, in the immediate future. Now listen, as I understand scripture, and I think 
I have an okay understanding of scripture. It is always too early to disengage from the mission of the church. When should we disengage from the mission of the church? When Jesus comes back and gets us, that's when we disengage from it because then the church leaves or we leave depending on, you know, when all that happens. I'm personally praying for the rapture. We are called to be engaged. We need to be engaged doing the good works that God ordained for each one of us individually. We've got to be doing something. I need to know what the good works are that God ordained for me to do. And I have a pretty good understanding which ones he's ordained for me to do. Now, now that literally can change day to day. There's little good works that pop up day to day. There's overarching ones like teaching the word of God, you know, under, learning to grow and understand the word of God so that I can communicate the word of God to God's people by the spirit of God in such a way that they understand it and it influences them toward Christ. There's a good summary of one of my good works. But what if I decided, you know what? They're not listening. I, I just forget it. Forget it. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. Why should I bother? Am I being faithful to God if others aren't being faithful to, to him? Do I have a right to say, you know what, I, I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. The answer is no. You know when I'm going to quit? Is I don't know when. I, I won't. Until, until God makes me or I don't, know, I don't know who else can make me. No one else can make me do it. Government can't make me stop loving Jesus enough to tell people about him and teach. Even if they locked me up in a box someplace I know enough about God's word I can teach without a Bible something about God wherever I am if even if I've got cockroaches running around I'm telling I'm telling the cockroaches cockroach open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2 I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jesus right now it's too early to disengage we can't it doesn't matter how dark this world gets. It doesn't matter how hard it gets. It doesn't matter what, what anyone does around us. It doesn't matter how futile the good works feels to us. That doesn't matter. The question is, what is God calling us to do? How is he calling us to obey? And then we just need to do it. And keep doing it, and keep doing it, and keep doing it. We are called to be engaged in the good work of faith, the good works of faith, using the gifts God has given us until Jesus comes back and to not stop. How do we do that? How do we engage? First, we engage with God. Now, I know I'm preaching at the choir here right now hopefully somebody else is going to listen to this or watch this in the future and and maybe they're not doing this and maybe you're not doing this i don't i don't know two primary ways that we engage with god prayer and the word and for those 
that have been in the church for a while. We've heard that. How many hundreds of times have you heard that? You know, believer, you need to pray. You need to get in the word. You need to be in the word. And so we do that. And I read my Bible this morning before I came. I do it, I do it almost every morning. I rarely miss. But are we doing it like I talked about earlier? Are we just opening up the book, reading the words, closing the book, and moving on? Or are we opening up the book and then praying and asking God to open up our hearts and minds? Saying, God, I know you have a word for me today. Please, your servant is listening. Show me something about you. Show me something about me. Show me something about the world. Show me something, God. To engage in whatever the specific thing that God is calling you to. We must first engage with God. We've got to talk to him. God. You've heard me say this probably before. I think there's one primary question that every believer should ask repeatedly, every single day, repeatedly throughout the day. And it's a very simple question. Lord, what would you have me do now? That's it. Lord, what would you have me do now? As I'm, as I'm finishing up this and I'm getting ready to leave, Lord, what would you have me do now? I already have an idea what I'm going to do. But if I will get to every single decision point in life, every single point where I could go left or right, I already have a plan of going left, but do I get to that place and say, okay, God, Lord, what, what would you have me do right now? Maybe he'll tell me to go right. Maybe he'll tell me rather than go and work on that, on the, you know, the, the owl box at home, maybe he would have me do something else. But do I give him the opportunity to do that? Do I talk to him about every single thing that's going on in my life? Every single choice, every single time, every, sing, every time a thought pops into my mind, do I stop and say, God, what would you have me do with that thought? Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm feeling, Lord, there's a feeling. What would you have me do with that feeling? Is that feeling right? Is that wrong? We spend way too much time in our own minds alone. And we need to bring God into our thoughts. We need to be, bring God into our minds. I need to have this regular dialogue with God throughout my day, reminding myself that I am absolutely helpless without him. Now I've got a whole day worth of activities planned, but if I go into them without God, they may still not go smoothly, but I, I have no hope of his favor. I have no hope of his grace. I should have no hope of that. If I'm not allowing him interaction with me throughout that process, he wants intimacy, communion with me. He wants this, this never ending, this, as Paul says, pray without ceasing. That's what he's talking about. This, this, this reality that I, I am not alone. I have God in me. And that he wants to have this continuous, active conversation with me throughout the day. Now, now none of us are perfect. I, I don't do that perfectly. I promise you, I don't do that perfectly. 
I try to do it more. I try to do it more every, t- every single time I catch myself, you know, alone in my mind, alone thinking about the things of Rick and the things of this and the things of that, which is where life starts to get dark and hard and confused. I try to catch myself and then reach up. Lord, what would you have me do now? I've got to take that time with him. Interacting with him moment by moment if I can. Paul says taking every thought captive, grabbing every single single thought and making it obedient to Christ. How do you make it obedient to Christ? (laughs) You got to bring it to him and say, look, Christ, look at this weird thought. What do you want me to do with that? He's going to tell you, you need to throw that nasty thing away. Or, yeah, I get what you're thinking there, but here's, here's the truth. Well, how do we know what the truth is? We get it out of his word. And so not only do I spend that time in communication with him, not only do I, I try to develop a constant, never-ending dialogue with God, but I get to know him intimately through his word. That when I open up God's word, it's not just so that I can do my, you know, you know my, 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 my spiritual exercise, you know, like, like going to the gym where you just go through the, you know, okay, I did, you know, boop, 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 I'm done. I, I don't do that, so, you know. I'm actually thinking about starting, but that's another, another conversation. But I actually open up the word of God and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you better. Your word, this book we have is your revelation of yourself to your people, to your church, to, your, to the world. You, everything I need to know about God is right here. Everything I need to know about who I am is right here. Everything I need to know about how God wants to work in this world is right here. But I need to know it. I need to understand it. I need to dig deep into it. Otherwise, if we don't do those two things, if we don't pray, develop that constant communion conversation with God. Now we should take times of like corporate prayer and where, we're, where, we, where we pause and we, and we do like, like um, intercessory prayer. We gotta do all those things too. But more important is the intimacy, that intimate conversation with God. God, talk to me, talk to me, God. Right here, right now. And have this deepening knowledge of God and his truth and his wisdom and his reality through his word. If we don't do that, we may be doing works. And we may be doing works that people around us say, ooh, that's good. But if they're not the works that God created beforehand, they're not good. They're not right. And they won't produce the good that we're hoping for. The good works that we ought to be doing are those ones that are born out of intimacy with God and a, and a growing knowledge of his word and a yielding ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that when we hear, when we, I, I make my plans, we need to do that. We need to make our plans. But then we come to those crossroads. Okay, I know, I know I'm planning to go left, God, but Lord, what would you have me do now? And being open, you know what? Go this way.
at some point in my faith journey, six words became the most precious words that I, that I want to hear someday. The words that I want to hear when I stand before Jesus are well done, good and faithful servant. If I get to heaven and I hear that, that's heaven to me. That, that is what in my mind, I have grown to believe that is the greatest reward that I can possibly receive. Anything else will be insignificant compared to that. To have Jesus look upon me and say those six words to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't, I don't know what else I could want. That's six words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Yes. Whew. I was confused there for a minute. I knew it was six words, but all of a sudden, is it six? To do that, I must be engaged with God. I've got to be engaged with him. I've got to be connected to him. And it can't be, it can't be a once in a while thing. It can't be something I do on Sundays. It can't be something I do, you know, you know, whatever infrequent things that we, many believers, their, their relationship with God is fractured and splintered and, and segmented in these small little tiny bits and pieces. Can't be that. It's got to be more than that, a lot more than that. To be engaged with God is to make the reality that God is in you real, that he is in me all the time, that I am always aware of his presence. And I live as if he is, I'm aware of his presence. That's the first place we need to be engaged. The second place we need to be engaged, and I'm taking way longer than I planned, is in good works within our circles of influence. Now, we all have circles of influence. A circle of influence is any group of people that can be defined and you're a part of that group. Now, some of the obvious ones, marriage, family, community, church, work, hobby, uh, special interests, whatever it might be. If there's any way of gathering a group of people and, and you are a part of that group or can be identified as a part of that group, then that's one of your circles of influence. Now, what you need to understand is you don't have to be the leader of that circle to influence it, right? Do we acknowledge that? That we can influence even if we're not the leader. But do you think about that? Is that timer telling me I should be done already? Okay. Oh, is that Satan calling? Satan calling. No matter what group you're in, no matter what circle you're in, there is always an opportunity. Again, if we, if, we, if we can get to that place where we acknowledge the reality of the ever-present God in our lives, that God is always present in my life, and that whatever circumstance I find myself, whatever circle I'm in, whatever group that I'm a part of, that I can ask the question, Lord, what would you have me do now? 
Now, you know, you know me, I'm a talker. I like to talk. You give me an opportunity to get in a group of people, I'll tell them something. I'll tell them something about something because I know something about something. And so I'll talk. You know, one of the time, one of the lessons that God's been teaching me is that, you know, Rick, there is such a thing called silence. I'm still not really completely comfortable with the idea of it, nor familiar with it completely. But every now and then I hear the Lord saying, you know, just be still. Let this group be. And sometimes he'll tell me to say something and sometimes he won't. But in every circumstance, I have an opportunity to influence people toward Christ. And here's the truth. If you're in a circle and God has given you influence, which I believe he's given to all of us, some amount of influence, that we are either going to influence toward Christ or away from him. And the only way we know the difference is that we're having that dialogue with God in the midst of that, of that circle. Thank God. You know, Larry said X, Y, Z. Should I tell him what a knucklehead he is right now? Yes. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or being sensitive, you know. I, I, you know, I see, you know, Chad over there. Chad's been really quiet today. Ask the Lord, Lord, is there, something I, is there something I need to see there? Is there something I need to know there? Is there something I need to say there? Do I need to, do I need to pull him aside and have a... And I have these dialogues with God, not with Rick. Because I got all the good ideas. I mean, I can come up with an idea of what I ought to do about every single situation. But I want to know what God wants me to do in that moment. And I can influence. Maybe not the whole group, but maybe just one person. Engage. Engage with God and engage within your circles of influence. And for each of us, we need to just spend some time and, and just really identify what each of those circles is. And say, what is my influence there? And have I, have I created an environment where I'm actually, I have permission to be an influencer? Because sometimes you don't. The last one for today is engage with your local church. Listen, I'm talking to guys at the men's breakfast on a Saturday morning. So you're engaged at least because, you know, there was food involved. The question is, and I don't mean this to be convicting or condemning or critical, but we need to ask the question, am I engaged enough? Am I engaged the way that I should be? Now, now, if, if you were to ask anybody, if I were to ask anybody in this group, so, so how, what's your love, you know, how, how comfortable are you to level your engagement? It's the same thing you ask. If you ask somebody, you know, how's your prayer life? Well, it could be better. Really? Is that the right answer? The question is, is it as much as God wants? Is it the degree to which God wants you to be engaged or involved? You know, I, I think there's a place where we can say, you know what, I'm engaged at the level I believe God's calling me to. I, I believe I'm, I'm doing what God would have me to do. And that, and that he is, I don't, I don't sense him leading me to something else. But we need to be honest. 
And, and we need to ask our, each ourselves, I mean, I, I ask myself that question. Am I engaged at the level that I ought to be? I ought to be, I'm, I'm collecting a stinking salary here, so I ought to be engaged, you know, at a pretty good level. But, you know, are there things that I should be engaged with and I'm not? Now, now, now understand something. Not necessarily for you guys, but maybe for somebody else who's watching. You know, I, I don't say that because I'm concerned the church is going to close down because guys aren't engaging. This church is going to go on. As long as Randy and I keep showing up and, you know, Kevin, until he moves to Dubuque or wherever he's going. You know, the church is going to continue. The church is going to love Jesus. The church is going to serve Jesus. The church is going to preach Jesus as long as people keep showing up. But it will never be as effective as it could be if everyone that God brings into this church was engaged to the degree that he would have them to be. Not me. I can't determine how engaged somebody is. I can point at things, I can suggest things, but only God knows what level anyone needs to be engaged. And without people engaging in the church, which has been a real problem in churches, engagement, especially among men, has, is reaching record lows, the church won't be able to reach as far. God won't be as glorified. And people will not come to Jesus as quickly as they should. Men of God should be engaged in their local church. It's just truth. Several ways that you can do that. First, be committed and faithful to the church. Make the church a priority. Make it a priority. And if you have to rearrange things to make it a priority, then rearrange things. And that means that, that men ought to be consistent in their attendance and participation in the things of the church. That, that I, I think is one of the realities when we want to prove that we, that we love God, that we, we, we consider the things that he thinks important, we consider them important as well, right? Does that make sense? Is the church important to God? Yes. yes. Is this church important to God? Yes. I believe the answer is yes. So if it's important to God, then God's men ought to think it's important too. And how do, how do you prove that something's important? You engage with it to the degree that God's calling you. Again, I, I don't, I'm not going to critique anyone for what they're doing. That's between you and the Lord. But we have to ask the question, am I proving to my own heart that I believe that this church is important to God by the way that I'm engaging with it? Be committed. Be faithful to the church. You know, participate in the things the church is doing. You know, unless we get flooded out tomorrow, we have a social Sunday tomorrow. One, come to church tomorrow. You know, if you can, you know, if you can paddle your way here, come to church tomorrow. But don't just leave. Come. Be a part of the fellowship of the church. We don't do it just because it's fun. We do it because it's important. It's important that the church 
gathers together for no other reason than to spend time together and to get to know one another and to grow through that knowledge. So get engaged. If there's something going on in the church, try to be engaged with it. And if there's something, that there's not something going on in the church that you think ought to be going on in the church, well, you can recommend it, but a better idea is for you to organize it. Second thing, be generous in your giving to the church. Now, we don't like to talk about money in the church, but many of the good works that we, want, we might want to try to do it's going to take money. And, you know, in case you're wondering, you know, God doesn't just drop big bags of money, you know, you know, on the roof for us every week. You know, we try to fill up a bag, a couple of bags every week so that we can do the, you know, the good works that God wants us to. It takes money. And the generosity of God's people, especially God's men as leaders, helps us to do more for the Lord and for his gospel. Third, encourage others to being committed and engaged. You know, Kevin will tell you, many of you have experienced this, the way that other men get involved in things like this is because somebody invited them. Another man invited them to this. And I think, I think, I think we've forgotten that. I think that, that in many cases, we're not active. I think a breakfast or two ago, there was something weird about it. There was just this, there was a buzz around the church inviting, guys inviting other guys to the men's breakfast. And we showed up that, that next Saturday and we had one of our best attendants in a long time because guys were actively inviting other guys. Guys show up. They may not engage right away, but they start showing up and we need to be better at that. And we need to invite them to the things that are going on or we need to invite them to church, whatever it might be, but we need to be involved in helping others to engage or in whatever else, what other circle of influence we've got, engage, helping other guys engage with God at a, at a different level than they are, you know, talking to them about the word of God, talking to them about prayer, talking to them about faith, talking to them about the things that are going on in their lives and pointing them to the truths of God. Those are the kinds of things that will help them to engage. Or you can hide your gifts in a handkerchief, set them aside, and then wait for Jesus to show up. Maybe that'll be okay. Maybe Jesus will come to you and say, oh, I understand. You were so busy with other stuff. You were this, you were that. Oh, I know it was hard for you. Is that likely what he's gonna say to us? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the Lord is looking for his men to engage, to get involved and to, and to be actively involved and not just in being there, but fulfilling the mission of the church and to seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized and, and facilitating the teaching of the word of God and the obedience to God and, and, and the things that Jesus said. That's what God is looking for. And he's given us everything we need so that we can do that. All we got to do is pull them out of our pocket, open up that handkerchief, and stop hiding them. 
It's an opportunity coming up. I'm going to close it here in just a moment. I'm, I'm reviewing a teaching series that um, Kevin introduced me to, and it's by Del Tackett. I don't know if any of you guys remember Del Tackett. He did the Truth Project. Anybody remember the Truth Project? We did it here at the church. We did it, gosh, a couple of years we were involved in that, in that fabulous, fabulous series of teachings. We've got a new one out called The Engagement Project. Hmm. It's almost like there's a theme here. Jesus could be back at any moment. Or he may not come in our lifetimes. It's hard for us to imagine that. The world's pretty dark. And we might think, eh, it can't get much worse than this. <laughs> Hold on to your britches. Regardless, we are all commanded to be busy while we wait. We can't just wait. We can't hide our gifts in a handkerchief and just wait. I'll just wait it out. I'll just tough it out. Nope. He wants us out. He wants us working. He wants us going after the work and doing it actively, doing it deliberately. We're going to, I'm reviewing this series. And once I've reviewed it, I'm, Probably going to roll it out to the church. Maybe we'll talk about doing it in the men's group first. Um, I'm going to review it first, then we'll start. Then we'll develop a plan after I review it. But then one of the things we'll be we'll be asking is we'll be looking for guys to host it, to open up their homes and host one of these groups to go through it. We need people engaged. And the very first people I'm going to look at is our men. Men, we must be engaged. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be exhorting. I'm going to be, you know, getting a club or something. I don't know. I'm going to get myself a good rod. And we're going to, and we're going to, we're going to encourage men to do what they already know they ought to be doing. But for whatever reason... It's too hard, it's too inconvenient, it's too whatever they might say. I say, you know what? It's time. It's time. It's my desire for myself and then for everyone in my circles of influence, which includes all of you, that first I would love God with all of my being and that you would love God with all of your being and that we would serve him faithfully in whatever he's called us to do and whatever good work he's called us to do. That we all would be worthy of hearing the words from the lips of our Savior, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen, we've just come through a season that has made many in the church, a big percentage of the church, complacent and, and in some cases, lazy. 
it's time for us to get engaged. If not now, when? You know, is tomorrow a better day than today? And the answer is no. It won't get any easier tomorrow, I promise you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want myself and I want you to then receive the invitation into God's glory. Guys, we need to be engaged, not in the things of this lost world. They're all going to burn. They're meaningless. They're pointless. They're useless. But in those things that are eternal, those things that bring us right into the very presence of our loving Savior, Jesus. Rise up, men of God, and engage. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time. And I pray, Lord God, as we've talked about engaging, Lord, the, 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 I think the first step for most men is just engaging with you and developing that habit of looking to you and asking that question, Lord, what would you have me do now? And to, and to take every thought that we can and bring it before you. Help us, God, to do that. I pray for these, your men, men who are engaged. And Lord, I pray that none of them hears this as a rebuke or condemnation. But Lord, if you would convict any man in this, that hears this message, or woman for that matter, that hears this message, and recognizes that they are not engaged with you or with your church or with their circle of influence in a way that they should be, that you would help them to, to see that and then to make whatever changes are necessary so that they can. I thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. We thank you for Jesus who saved us and made a way for us to be a part of his kingdom. We are now his subjects. We are his servants. And as such, we need to be busy about the good works that you created beforehand for each of us, using the spiritual gifts that you poured out on us, being, being intimately connected with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and is leading and desires to lead and guide us. Help us to do that, Lord, that, that we might see in this church a revival, especially in the men. That we might see a room like this filled with men who have a heart to love you and serve you and follow hard after you. I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and I pray for your blessing on these men and all they do today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for the Rise Up series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If you have questions or if there's anything that we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. And one of the ways that we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer please let us know how we can be praying with you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 
1-800-242-5396. If this material has blessed you in any way, has been useful to you in any way, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfe.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.